Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Wondering where to start? Do you have questions about mortgage and real estate and need honest, accurate answers? Well, you're in the right place. Welcome to The Educated Home Buyer with expert real estate broker, Jeb Smith, and certified mortgage consultant, Josh Lewis, where we discuss everything you need to know to buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership. We appreciate you being here. The goal tonight is to provide you, answer your questions so that you guys can make the best decision for yourself, whether right now is the best time to buy or if you're going to sit on the sidelines and wait to see what happens. Um, Josh, this past week, what's happened? What, what, do we, what kind of news do we have here? We got some updates with regards to you know Fannie Mae's predictions with, uh, with housing prices. We've got, you know, Ivy Zellman coming out. All of these things we're going to go over in just a minute, but let's start by talking about interest rates. What have we uh, seen interest rates do? Interest rates continue to get worse. Um, we saw some nice improvement on Friday that put us back to about where we were last Wednesday when we were together here on this call. Um, but uh, Tuesday, we come back in the holiday on Monday. Tuesday, we come back in. And the only thing that really was a market mover is um, major corporations uh, at the first uh, of the quarter uh, released their projections of what they're going to do in terms of corporate bond issuance. And we had a ton of it, like one of the one or two or three highest days in the history of uh, the bond market of corporations saying they're going to uh, issue bonds. And you wouldn't think that it would directly impact uh, the mortgage bond market or the treasury bond market market, but it does. Um, so the market sold off pretty bad. Um, so rates were almost a quarter percent worse just yesterday. And we got about half of that back today. So if we take back what happened Friday, the nice improvement, the big worsening yesterday, and then what we got back today, we're back to about where we were last Thursday, which is still uh, not good. Uh, highest levels, you know, your your best qualified borrowers are going to be in the high fives, low sixes on conventional loans. Um, just locked a loan for a borrower on a high balance VA uh, at five and a half. They had a unique situation. Our best case for them would have been to maybe get them five and a quarter, five and three eighths. So um, that's a high balance loan. So your standard VA, FHA, possibly the low fives. But anyway, you cut it. We've had uh, an unpleasant summer and ending to the summer. In June, you guys remember, we had that hot CPI report, rates run up. Um, we had some nice recovery in July. We got back down to you know conventional loans with borrowers who were willing to pay a point and we had the best qualifications. Could have got 4.875, 4.99. Um, and then throughout August, pretty much just leaked all of that back. So it tells you that the market doesn't really have a strong feeling for where we're going. Um, there's some pretty strong support just above us in terms of these yields. So I don't think we're going to get much worse. And I think uh, to the contrary, we're likely to see them hit the ceiling here and, and get back some of that improvement like we saw throughout July. Um, Jeb, how about this? You you were actually had the ability to uh, watch a webinar with a, a guy that we follow, one of the experts we follow, Barry Habib, um, earlier this week. And he had some projections for what he thinks is going to happen throughout the rest of the year. What insights did he give you on that? Well, that was actually last week. And I think we didn't we talk about it in the in the episode. I think we kind of touched on it a little bit when we talked about inflation and interest rates and all of that. So, I mean, just to kind of recap, I mean, he thinks that the CPI numbers could possibly get worse um, in this month. Um, you know, last week we, we pulled up a chart and showed you, you know, month over month what the CPI readings were. And I think it's, you know, August is supposed to be 0.3 and uh, of last year. And, and that's going to drop off. So depending 
And, and in this July, this past July, we had uh, what? Zero. Um, so depending on what happens with the CPI reading that comes out, what, next week? Is it next, next week? week? Next week. Um, what happens with next week? Really? Kind of. I mean, it's going to have an impact on the market. Uh, you know, you and I were talking earlier today. There's some, uh, you know, I guess, uh, I don't rumors floating around, if you will, um, about, you know, the Fed possibly doing another three quarter percent hike uh, in their in their meeting, which is two weeks from today. And and so that that's an aggressive move from them. I mean, it's I think we all kind of thought that the Fed would probably back off by now just based on what they do historically. You know, they get a little timid um, once the economy starts to slow down. Well, Powell basically came out and said that they're going to continue to move forward with, forward with that. And, and the market didn't really like that two weeks ago, um, didn't like the news that they were hearing. And, um, you know, here we are. Right. So rates have pushed back up towards those highs. You know, there's some there's some resistance above us, uh, you know, that that we could bounce off of or support, however you want to look at it um and and go the other direction but it, it'll be interesting um but some of the information we do have that's come out this is that's helpful um which we're going to talk about here in a minute is some updates on conforming loan limit conforming loan limits i mean i should probably just start stop right now and just <laughs> cut this tonight and say adios guys it's been a good it's been a good ride um this wednesday but let's take a minute here and pull up some charts uh josh and i took some time to pull up some things that i thought what we thought you would think was interesting or helpful with regards to the housing market. So we're going to start here. Um, so this is a chart here for Orange County. Um, that's where we're located here in Southern California. Our market's going to be a little bit different than your market. Uh, but there's some things I want to point out in this chart. Now, under this, this particular chart came from Reports on Housing. It's a newsletter I subscribe to. If you need access or want access, you can reach out to me. I'm happy to uh, to put you in touch and, and be able to get you that. But the, the orange line is essentially uh, the time of the year, the days on the market, if you will, for, for 2022. And you can see, I don't know, going back about a month, month and a half ago, we looked like we were on an upward trajectory just to get over, uh, what is it, um, you know, that 90-day mark, which is where it starts to become more of a, a balanced market. And what you can't see down there at the bottom is, is the year's. Uh, that we're talking about there with regards to, you know, the other colors, if you will. But what we've seen, and you guys have heard me talk about this, is inventory's kind of peaked, right? You know, about a month ago, month and a half ago, I was in here and I said, I think inventory for the years probably reached its high just because every week when we talk about the 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 numbers here where I'm located, I started seeing a trend going the other direction. Currently today, we sit at 3,653 homes for Orange County. Our peak was about 4,300. So each week we've been dropping about 100 properties overall in Orange County. Huntington Beach today we sit at 223. The highs were around 270. Right now, that doesn't mean it automatically becomes a buyer's market. Understand that. Uh, I mean, a seller's market, it just means it's less of a buyer's market. There's less inventory out there. There's still some demand, even though rates are high. I know that's hard to believe, but people are still buying homes. Um, and, and you're likely to see these numbers continue to go lower through the end of the year. You know, you'll see the lowest levels of the year sometime probably between, you know, Christmas and the new year. That's when you're going to reach your lowest level of inventory for the year, typically speaking. And so with that said, if you're out there buying a home right now, just understand there might be some new homes come to the market, but don't expect a flood of new inventory to choose from. 
um, you know, the homes that are out there, a lot of them have been sitting for an extended period of time. You're not really seeing new listings. What's out there are uh, properties that have just been that are not moving for one reason or another. Uh, so just keep that in mind and actually filmed a video today talking about how to get a deal in this market, what to look for, and that'll be released next Monday. Uh, but Josh, move on to this chart here. This again is Orange County, just showing you, you know, price points, how many homes are in that price point currently sitting on the market um, and, and average time on market. So you can see the higher you go up in price, the longer homes tend to sit. Uh, and lastly, or not lastly, but next, um, conforming loan limits. So Josh, why don't you take a minute here and talk about this? So as you guys know, the uh, the FHFA home price index um, every year increases or every year has been increasing. And that's what they index Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac loan limits to for the year. So these are not the actual numbers for 2023, but one of our biggest wholesalers, the biggest wholesale lender in the country, loves to jump the gun and be the first to do this every year. So this is their very safe projection of what the numbers uh, are going to look like next year. So 715 is probably more like 725, 730. Um, but this is a number that they can close loans at now hold those loans through the rest of the year, then sell them off through Fannie and Freddie uh, later in the year. So two questions, Josh. First, what number are we coming from? So what was the conforming loan limit prior to this? Just on one unit. You don't have to go over all the Six, units. 647,200. So, okay, it's, so it's a nice what, increase. 65, $68,000 um, yep. increase as of right now. Yep. And do you remember how far they were off last year on their predictions when they did this? Uh, about 10, 15,000, you know, okay, they're not so, going to go all the way up to it. They don't want to get stuck with loans that can't go to Fannie and Freddie. So they're going to be very safe with this figure. And I believe we only have one more month of FHFA figures. And we just saw that last month. There was still appreciation last month. So they probably stopped at last month saying, even if we lose a little bit over the next month uh, before they, they hit that October figures, they announced this right around Thanksgiving in November, once the October FHFA home price index is released. And Josh, why why is it helpful for these numbers to go up? Does that who does that benefit? Well, here it was a much bigger benefit last year for home buyers because uh, above this amount, I shouldn't say above this amount, above this amount in standard balance areas, areas that don't uh, that are not eligible for a, a Fannie Freddie high balance loans. In those areas, any loan above this is a jumbo loan. Jumbo loans, strangely, paradoxically right now, have slightly better terms than Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac loans, but they're much more difficult to qualify for. Generally, higher credit score requirements, higher reserve requirements, bigger down payment requirements. So um, for the most part, it's an easier to qualify for a loan. Now, if you're in a high balance area, like a lot of California, San Diego, LA, Orange County, Ventura, the Bay Area, um, a, a lot of that qualifies for up to 150% of this loan amount. So 715, that gets us another, what, 358. It puts you up, you know, almost a $1.1 million that you can qualify for that loan. And the reason why I say this isn't as, as beneficial for those high balance areas like Orange and LA counties, um, as we saw last year, is in April, Fannie and Freddie decided that they were going to tax high balance borrowers to offset and help uh, affordable housing initiatives and easier qualifying for lower loan amount borrowers. So anything with less than 25% down in a high balance loan is not uh, only going to have a slightly higher rate based off of the fact that it's a high balance loan. There's also a one point fee added to that um, and it decreases, uh, but it never goes away. So you're always going to pay uh, a fairly significant 
higher rate um, on, on one of those high balance loans. So this is beneficial, it's good, but in a period with high rates and low affordability, this isn't nearly as, as beneficial or bigger the announcement as it was last year. Good stuff. Uh, you know, rates have risen as we talked at the beginning of the show up near the highs that we've seen, um, you know, in, in quite some time. Uh, but then at the same time, Fannie Mae is now coming out and saying that mortgage rates are going to fall to four and a half percent. So what are your thoughts on that, Josh? Now, I know we talk a lot about rates, not looking for projections here, but um, that's that's uh, the fun part. Fannie is rarely ever accurate on these numbers. Um, they projected rates to go up to what, about 4% this year, and we're up in the 55 6% range. And you can't blame them for that. No one saw this coming. But when we, when we look at it and where we're likely to go, um, I absolutely think rates are going to come down. The million dollar question is, what does that look like? If we're talking about conventional loans, roughly in the 6% range, 4.5% is a really, really big decrease. But if you had said at the beginning of this year when rates were 3%, hey, we're going to have rates drop all the way to four and a half percent in 2023. Um, it's not a, a huge amount. Could I see them drop more than that? Yeah. Could I see them drop less than that? Yeah. Do I think they're going to be at this point or higher next year? I, I don't. But that's what we, we, uh, we do here is we show up every week and, and look at the numbers and see what happens there. And if and when those rates do come down, it will give some support to the market as it will improve affordability. More people can qualify for the higher priced homes that are on the market. Good stuff. And so this chart right here is a survey that Fannie did in August um, that shows consumer um, expectations, if you will. What do consumers know, right? I mean, hell, what do I know? What does Josh know? Uh, But the average consumer out there does see a decline. They actually see a decline in home price expectation by 0.4%. So not a huge amount. I don't know what the exact percentage is there on rental, but see both of them coming down, which I think we're all kind of in alignment with. Uh, But at the same time, here are, well, let's go back to that real quick. Uh, Here are some other projections uh, with regards to home prices over, what, through 2023? Is that what we're talking about, Josh? This is Yeah, this is what they're expecting in 2023. So Zillow at 2.4% appreciation, um, Kay Schiller, 2%, Goldman Sachs, 1.8%. Uh, Moody's is basically zero. I think they have a small decline in there, if I remember correctly. And then Zellman, Ivy Zellman, um, down 4%, I believe, in 2023 and down 5% in 2024. And Josh, why why is her estimate, why is she even being considered in this uh, in this? you know, conversation, if you will. She made her name on being very accurate in predicting the last downturn, um, but she wasn't alone in that. A, a lot of people uh, did. I, I, a financial advisor that I was a partner with on a radio show back in 2006, we wrote a 40-page report explaining exactly why home prices were going to come down because of the bad loans that were being done at that time and how it was ele- elevating prices. But that was where she made her reputation. She is a smart woman, and their company, their business is basically a subscription-based service advising builders on what is going to come next and when they should build more, when they should build less, how different markets look. So I think, you know, a blind spot for you and I, Jeb, we don't have a lot of new construction in California. There, There is, I've done more new construction loans this year than I probably have in any year of my career, but relative to other parts of the country, it's a very low figure. So, um, She has a different and unique insight into that, and it leads us back to probably the biggest part or the the biggest thing that we need to to talk about is that all of these articles are thrown nationwide. Here's a nationwide number. 
I don't care about the nationwide number and you shouldn't either. If my market goes up 2% next year, but yours goes down 22% and the nationwide figure was break even 0%, do you care about any number other than your market? Right. No. And, and each of those markets is unique. And uh, where her area of expertise is the, the areas of the country that have high levels of building throughout the Southeast. And she is concerned that there's an excess of homes coming on the market. Maybe she's right. Maybe she's not. Uh, maybe she's right in some parts of the country and not in others. We'll see. But yeah, either way combined, it looks like through the next two years, if you will, um, somewhere around a 9% decline, if she is accurate, right? While Meanwhile, other people are um, saying positive to basically no growth, right? Um, so I see some chats or, or some conversations in the chat already talking about this today. Basically, Black Knight came out. Um, and says that tappable, tappable equity is down. Um, and Josh, you and I have talked about this um, agnosium today in, in trying to figure out how some of this data is being computed. Uh, but basically what they're saying is tappable equity is now down 5% in the last two months, setting up Q3 to likely see the first quarterly decline in tappable equity since 2019. So what is tappable equity? It's above and beyond the 20% you have in your property in order to tap that equity. So going back about six months ago, the average homeowner had about $185,000 of tappable equity in their property at that time. So what they're saying is about 5% of that has declined. Why is it declined? Because home prices have essentially pulled back. Um, and they say, basically, keep in mind that of the roughly 275,000 borrowers who would fall underwater from a 5% decline, price decline, more than 80% purchased their homes in the first six months of 2022, right at what appears to have been the top of the market. So if you bought a home this year, then there's a chance if home prices move sideways, you know, go down, you're going to be in a position where you're underwater. You owe more on the home than it's worth. When, when does that matter? It matters if you need to sell that house at that time. When it doesn't matter is if you don't plan on selling that house for any reason, if you plan on staying there for a period of time, right? So this is only concerning if you own a house and you are trying to sell it at the time where equity is down or home prices have moved sideways and there's no equity in that property. Josh, you want to add anything on that? No, those numbers look really big, but you have to look at... Um... I just run some back of the napkin numbers. They're using, say, San Jose lost 20% of its tappable equity. Equity Homes with mortgages nationwide average a 50% loan to value. Homes in San Jose are probably right at or above the million dollar median price. So if we take away 20% um, that you can't borrow, so at 80% it's $800,000 loan. If you owe about 500, there's $300,000 there. So they're saying you lost 20% of that tappable equity in the last one. That's $60,000. It's a pretty big move. I, I haven't seen moves of that size. So it's a confusing number. Um, it's it's a leveraged number. So they, they're the number looks big. It's great for Black Knight. It gives them great headlines when it's going up, great headlines when it's going down, and it keeps them in the news for people buying their services. I just look at this and and it seems it seems a little bit large for the small amount of movements that we've seen in home prices in, in these markets. Good stuff. All right. And then you had one other slide here that we added in talking about re refinance volume. Anything you want to add on that? Yeah, I just wanted to throw this out here. This is from uh, the American Enterprise Institute. It's, it's interesting to look at. So relative to last year, cash out refis are down 72%. Everyone thought this year would be the big year where, hey, um, rates will be a little bit higher. 
but people will jump in and, and, and use the cash in their home. We have a lot of older home stock that if your home's gone up $400,000 and you can take 70 or 80,000 and bring it up to speed uh, to your neighbors with the nice kitchen, new roof, some windows, that type of stuff, we would see it. Um, and rates have gone so high that for most people, it doesn't make sense. And on the flip side, what they've done, uh, a lot of people is borrowing on home equity loans and home equity lines of credit. And one of the things that I was advising people first quarter of the year, if you wanna do this, I understand it's nice to have a line of credit that you don't pay on until you borrow, but it's gonna be variable and the Fed's gonna be hiking hard all year. So we're seeing uh, those loans in the seven, 8% range. So if you owe you know $500,000 on your house, you need $40,000 for home improvements, the 8% loan is the way to go. If you owe $200,000 on your home and you need 150,000 for home improvements, 8% on that is gonna more than outweigh the 3%, 3.5% that you have on your first. So this will be interesting to see um, how that volume is impacted when rates do come back down. Um, because uh, as we've said here before, I don't expect uh, big changes to people's home equity positions. If we say since COVID, um, people who've owned have seen a 35% increase in their their equity. If you lost 10% of it, which I don't expect to happen, you're still sitting on 25% more equity than you had prior to, to COVID and probably looking at putting some of that to, to work in terms of home improvements, other investments. All right. Good stuff. Um, so hopefully you guys find value in that. I want to start today by asking a question. We're going to do something a little bit different. Um, new technology, trying to add it to the platform here just to see how it works out. Um, let us know where you're joining us from. Where are you watching us from? City, state is helpful. Um, and let's let's see how this this whole thing works here. This could be a complete and utter bust or it could actually work the way that it's supposed to. And um Let's see here. Let's see if we can do it. So this is a map. As you type it in, it will actually show us where everybody's from. Kind of cool technology. So we got some people in what? Northern California here. Two up near San Francisco. Josh. We only have like six people watching. That's great. <laughs> of the 173, maybe only six of them. Yeah, a lot, a lot in Southern California. Utah looks like one. Let's see. Michael De La Torres in Oklahoma, Kansas City. What do we have here? Southwest Oxford, Canada, huh? Look at that. Miami. All right, cool stuff. I uh, just wanted to see how it would populate. I guess you could zoom in a little bit here and see what it looks like. So it looks like the majority of people coming in from, from SoCal, a lot in California. Cool. What do you guys think about that? Helpful? Useful? Find any find it interesting at all? Would love to know. Just, uh, again, it's uh, just something here. And it's also able to do polls, which we're going to do here in a moment. And you're actually able to see the live polls as people type them in to the chat. You'll be able to see them pop up um, as well. But you can see there's people all across the country here, Josh. I mean, we're not just California based here. I mean, we got a lot in the Midwest, a lot in the, uh, you know, on the Eastern seaboard there. We could just do this all night and just see, see where it keeps going. See, see who's where, see who's invite, where, man. In, invite ourselves over to people's houses for yeah, live streams. Who's, who's in Huntington beach. Come here now. Okay. Oh, good stuff. All right. So we're going to get into some questions now. I don't know if I can pull this up later and actually see what that looks like in more detail. We'll find out. Uh, but let's do this. All right, Josh, you got some questions coming in. Uh, Jennifer is starting by asking if, if we matched on purpose, I can't talk tonight, Jennifer. So, 
Uh, I apologize, but I want to thank you for being here, moderating the chat. It's always very, very helpful. So thank you for that. Josh and I did not match on purpose. In fact, I didn't even know Josh had a black shirt on. Didn't even notice until you mentioned it. So all good stuff there. Let's see. Michael De La Torre, what are your opinions on the new Bank of America minority community loan for black and Latino communities being launched in Los Angeles? Seems an awful like a ninja loan to me. So I actually did a video on this. It comes out Friday. Um, talk about the loan requirements and also talk about some thoughts on it. Uh, you know, without, you know, going in deep on it, I think it's good for what it is um, to help out. I mean, they've in the past, they've helped out 36,000 families through, you know, other types of programs that are similar to to this sort of thing. Um, the, their goal, I forget how many more it is to help like 60,000 or something through through 2025. I think a lot of people are going to see this, want to get into it. And the reality is, they're not going to qualify for one reason or another. They're going to be super, super strict on this sort of thing. There's no down payment. There's basically a closing cost credit. Well, let's see, no down payment up to $15,000, depending on your area. So you can't, it's not like you can go buy a million dollar home, right? Obviously it has to make sense. Um, there's no credit score requirement. You know, you have to show bills paid on time. So, I, you know, I'm not casting stone, throwing stones, whatever, but, you know, no down payment, no, if you have a low credit score to begin with, chances are you're not making your payments on time. I mean, it's it's one of those things. So I think very few people are actually going to qualify for the program in and of itself, which means there's probably not going to be as many people out there actually doing it. But their goal is to send them through some, home, you know, a home ownership workshop to make sure they understand it and also make sure they have the ability to repay this loan, how they're doing that, I have no idea. I don't know the DTI requirements. They don't really get into detail on any of that stuff, but I don't. I think it's more of a headline grabber that Bank of America is doing this to help out, you know, minority communities than it is a real impact on helping, you know, minority communities get homes. If it, it, that's that's my real thoughts, Josh. What do you think? I say this out of total ignorance because other than seeing the headlines, I haven't read anything at all. But Michael saying it seems an awful lot like a ninja loan. Um, they're not legal. They keep they don't they don't fall under the the qualified mortgage guidelines, and banks aren't making non qualified mortgage loans. Private lenders are making non QM loans, so they're going to document income. They're going to document assets. Um, they're getting you in with without uh, the investment, so you have that piece of it. Remember yeah. that underwriting is like a, a four legged stool. Um, putting some money and put a down payment, some skin in the game is a piece of that, your credit history, your income history, um, and the value of the property are all pieces of that. And if you go back in time to 2008, we have some geniuses uh, out here running around saying, this is 2008, this is 2008. It tells me you're not very intelligent because you don't see the differences. At that time, what we were doing is didn't document income, take people's words for it. Um, credit scores down to very, very low scores, um, you know, well down into the 500s where a default is almost guaranteed um, and then not requiring a down payment. So what, if someone already has bad credit, they lied to you about their income and they didn't make a down payment, when something happens, how hard is it for them to walk away? Um, and those have been outlawed. You cannot do them. There well, are I think some... So, Josh, let me jump in. I think that's he, not necessarily a ninja loan. I don't think that's I mean, he's using that, but I think it's out of context. I think the idea here is these people have no skin in the game. Right. So no down payment in yep. theory, no closing costs, because up to seventy five hundred dollars of closing costs is going to be credited. 
Um, they don't have to have a credit score. Um, the credit score doesn't matter. Basically, they look at their rent payment on time. They look at cell phone bills, insurance payments, that sort of thing hasn't been paid on time, supposedly. And so the idea is that if home values do go down, once these people, what's what's the what's what's keeping them from walking away? And and that's 100 percent correct. So we just took two stools, two two legs of the stool out. You're going to document income. You're going to appraise the property at a value. Um, but from that perspective, yeah, if you if you don't have any money in the game and you haven't documented credit, like there are flaws to the credit system. We talk about, you know, there's a lot of inflammatory headlines talking about this system or that system is is racist or racially biased. Um, there's some pretty big things that you can talk about the credit scoring, how uh, minorities are adversely impacted, how it is harder for them to have a higher credit score and benefit from that. Um, so I understand the the logic of saying, hey, let's let's remove that. But there's also validity in terms of the predictive capacity of, of credit scores and not having them is, is a big additional risk. No, I, I understood. And I'm just reading some comments here. So I'm a little bit delayed. I mean, I've got Kia here. I'm just going to pop this one up because I just said something and, and comes in and makes a comment and says, that's not everyone's case. My friend has an ex-husband who ruined her credit, but she pays her bills. She shouldn't have suffered. And a lot of minorities are underserved in the, I agree a hundred percent with that. But what I'm trying to tell you is that when bank of America looks at that, that, that history, regardless of who made the mistake, whether it was the husband and, or the person that has the credit, the fact is they're not going to qualify for that reason. And so it looks really good on paper saying, Hey, listen, we're going to give, you know, this amount of money to minorities, which is great. We're going to give this amount of closing costs to minorities. Great. And again, you don't have to be, you don't have to be a minority to actually get this by the way. Um, but great. But the thing is it's super tough to qualify. It's like saying, you know, any of the other, like, like NACA, for example, it sounds like a great program until you actually have to go through the process and qualify. And I don't know a lot about it. So I'm ignorant in, in that sense, but I did a video on it, on what I knew. And if you just read the comments on it alone of people that have been through the process, 80% of the people say it's terrible for, for how hard it is to go through. The the 20% who made it through talk about how great it is. It's going to be a similar story here. It's going to benefit some, and those are going to be really happy and, and glad it happened. And then the people that don't make it through for one reason or another are going to talk about how bad it is and how strict it is. And that's it's just the reality. I mean, you can't give away free money to everyone. So I, I understand you have to make it um, strict. You know, there has to be certain compliance in place, but at the same time, they send it out, you know, on a national headline, we're all doing videos about it, which gets people pumped up like, Hey, I'm going to be able to do this. And, and it's almost a letdown. I think that's part of the problem. More of the problem that I have with it is that they're making it sound like it's this thing for everyone. When in fact, it's really not, it's for a small piece of the minority population, a very small piece. Because you have to to meet certain guidelines in order to make it happen. So hopefully that is, you know, clarifies what I was saying there. All right, Josh. Um, let's see here. So that was on that. Uh, hospital administrator goes out and says, "What exactly is a ninja loan?" Um, so Josh, let's talk about that. And they said they wouldn't f with it. It's a subprime loan. You can only have a certain income to use that, and it has to be in certain neighborhoods. No. That, so that's what I, I think they're they're responding to what the B of A loan is. Oh, I got you. Got you. OK. Yep. So what is a ninja loan? 
Josh. Um, no income, no job, no assets. Basically, right. all of the things that we talk about that an underwriter should be looking at to determine if you're a good credit risk and wouldn't present a systemic risk in making a loan to you, um, we just wiped those away back in 2005, 2006, 2007. Um, they're not available any longer. There are, um, you can in fact today get a stated income loan for an owner-occupied residence. Um, there's a specific type of lender and there's an acronym for it. It's, it's escaping me right now, but to put it in context, you're putting 35 or 40% down. You're gonna have a credit score well into the 700s and you're gonna have a rate at like eight and a half, nine and a half percent. So the problem was when we had those before, it was zero down and you had a rate that was like a quarter percent above what the going 30 year fixed rate was. So there was no penalty. There was no reason not to do it. Um, we had people doing it that were like, ah, I just don't like paperwork. I'm not gonna give you my pay stubs and W2s. I make 200,000 and uh, and just do, do the deal. So it's- well, that it's, And you had adjustable. Uh, yeah, we could go into detail, but we talk about it all the time. Uh, so good, good question. Um, so let's see, this isn't a question. It's a comment. I'm glad I watch your videos. I watch another YouTuber that completely discourages me from making a home purchase due to a potential crash. I feel like it's never a bad thing to invest in real estate. It's not, but again, you have to have that time on your side. I appreciate you saying that, but understand everybody looks at me and even Josh and says, you guys are super bullish on real estate. You you only think home values go up. No, we know. I know personally that home values don't go up. I, I've talked about it in videos where I've gotten my ass kicked owning real estate. Um, but I've also made good investments as well. And so, but what I can tell you is even the bad ones I made, time made all of that disappear. So that's that's the key to this whole thing is it's time. I mean, your grandparents bought houses you know, for tens of thousands of dollars that are now worth hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars in some markets. And how did that happen? Time. It just, it's, it, it, property values go up over an extended period of time. Um, and that's not going to change, but you might see sideways movement for a couple of years, maybe even some downwards movement, which we'll talk about here in just a minute, um, in some markets, just based on what's happened over the last couple of years. So, uh, Josh, let's see, opinion of LA and OC market right now. Do you have one? Uh, affordability is problematic. Um, coming up with down payments is problematic, but at the same time, Jeb and I were talking about this earlier today. Um, opened up a, a, an escrow yesterday. Um, have a client who's trying to put the finishing touches on an offer on a new build here. Um, there are still people out there who don't own and want to own. We're seeing, um, I would say more highly qualified borrowers, people with higher incomes, higher credit scores, bigger down payments, being more comfortable in the current market. Um, you know, we've used the example before that there's there's times when it's like wave the green flag, everyone can and should buy. My best example is 2010. By 2010, we had bottomed out. Home prices weren't appreciating, but they weren't going down any further. And essentially everyone with a pulse who was renting could afford at that time. And I would scream from the mountaintops, hey, green flag, green flag, go buy houses. Um, and very few people wanted to. By 2014, 2015, we had people stepping in. Um, you have to have a longer term time horizon when you're in a market that is definitely a market where you should be cautious. We just saw the two greatest years of appreciation ever on record. It would be foolish to not be cautious stepping into the market right now. We are going to see lower levels of transaction volume because we have 
owners who are kind of locked in. I'm locked in. I, I, it would, something spectacular would have to happen or change for me to, to sell my house and be willing to take on the payment of, of a move up buy right now. So we're going to see lower levels of transaction volume, lower supply, lower demand for the foreseeable future. Um, I don't see a recipe for a lot of uh, appreciation. What could happen to change or improve the affordability situation and give us room to the upside would be rates come down and over time incomes continue to increase as, as we have a tight labor market. And on the flip side, if rates were to go up, you're gonna see pressure on markets. So what you wanna do is make sure that you are buying with a timeline that's going to work. I mean, you guys have all seen the numbers. There hasn't been a, a seven year time period where someone could have bought and lost money on, on a home. So when you look at that and you have a timeline and you wanna own a home and you can afford it, um, then it is right for you. For people who have um, uncertainty in their life about their location, their relationships, um, their job, their income, it's not the type of market where you risk it to jump in like it was you know, post COVID or in 2010 when the risk levels were very low. There's definitely elevated risk and you need to weigh those and be cautious. But for most people, when you are, have reached the point in your life that owning a home is a good idea, you should do it when you hit that point and get the time factor of, of appreciation of principal reduction on your side. Good stuff. Um, logical thinker says per black Knight's price home price index, home prices dropped from June to July by 0.77%, which is the largest since 2011 and is among the lar 10 largest month drops in 30 years. Is this the start of a new trend? I think you could see month over month prices move downwards, um, for a little bit. Uh, I think the market needs to stabilize a little bit. I think we've been on uh, you know, a heck of a ride for, for 10 plus years, um, with regards to home prices. And, you know, a lot of that came in two years. And, and so with that said, I think, you know, you're going to see homes move side and, and on top of that, you're going into a time of the year where things are going to slow down naturally anyway. Um, so you're going to see things slow down, motivated, motivated sellers. If, the, if they're truly motivated and they're, and they're going to sell, they might have to take, you know, a price reduction in some of these markets and maybe even sell it for a little bit less than it's worth in some markets. So with that being said, you might see some, some declines month over month. Uh, you're definitely going to see declines year over year uh, just because of, of the way that the data is computed. But am I concerned? I'm not. Um, I just think it's, it's, it's natural ebb and flow of, of real estate at the moment. Um, so Josh, what, what are your thoughts? You always have to look at it as being a trend. Um, you saw the chart here where we had seen um, several months of, of rapidly increasing supply. We talked a little bit about this last week that I feel like it was motivated sellers feeling like the door was closing on them and rushing for the exits. And now we're looking at um, people who may be interested in selling but not motivated to sell. And when they see their options of what's out there, when they see that they're not getting obscene offers, you know, 40, 50, 60, $100,000 over list price, um, those homes are not coming on the market. So when you have decreased demand, which is decreased able demand because of affordability issues, and we also have decreased supply, it sort of mitigates the, the downside risk there. It doesn't mean there's no downside risk. We talked about interest rates shoot up. Um, if we get unemployment at, at 10%, like we did in 2008, which even if we had that, it's really important to go back and look. Um, uh, 
unemployment was largely at lower income levels, levels of, of uh, workers who were less likely to be homeowners. Um, we had pushed home ownership to such an extent that it was not sustainable. The government, both parties, like we don't want to get political here in the sense of saying Republicans did this, Democrats did this. From the late 90s through the crash, both sides were full throttle pushing home ownership, saying, here's all the benefits of home ownership. We should do everything we can to make everyone a homeowner. Well, when that involves lowering the standards to home ownership, you end up letting people in who are not capable of being successful homeowners. We haven't had that for the last 10 years, 12 years, 15 years. So you're not going to have that same level of risk. Does that mean that we're guaranteed that we would never see a downturn? No, um, but it, one way or the other, markets are self-correcting. And right now we still have a free market in housing uh, other than rent control in some areas. So when you look at it from, from that perspective, how is it gonna correct? Is it gonna correct with an extended period of below trend growth, or is it gonna actually go negative and correct faster. Either of them are possibilities. In our market, the clients that I talk to, the potential sellers that I talk to, I do not see a major downturn coming. At the same time, I don't see a major spike in values. I don't, I don't see how it happens here unless rates were to run back down to the low threes, which shouldn't be happening anytime soon. No, agreed. Um, so if you're arguing in the chat at the moment, let's stop. Let's move on. Everyone, how's that? Uh, more important things to talk about here versus, uh, arguing back and forth with one another at the end of the day, you guys can do whatever you want in the chat, but I'd, I'd prefer to keep it civil on both sides. Actually, that that's probably not the right word since someone used that word. Uh, but anyhow, let's, let's do that. How's that? All right. Uh, let's see what other questions we got here, Josh, uh, Ivy has another question. Do you feel about the new boomerang uh, program, the new program boomerang that lenders are going to start using to access social background when uh, qualifying for a loan? I'm not familiar with it. Are you? No, okay. I haven't heard, heard anything about it. So the, no, the 90, no 90%, 90 plus of the loans in the country are done through Fannie, Freddie, FHA, VA. None of them have I heard about implementing anything of, of a social background uh, as far as underwriting goes. Got it. All right. Uh, let's see here. Um, Jay homeboy wants to know who your favorite CrossFitter is favorite benchmark workout. You design a wad. What would it be? This is a big question here. I don't think we can answer this. We'll answer this back at the end of the show. We'll come back at this in the you're, show. You're doing a cliffhanger. You're doing a, well, it is. I mean, there's to, three to questions. Here, the so I think there's a lot to, you're not, to, you're not even, even going to answer one. No, I know who your favorite CrossFitter is. This one's easy. <laughs> oh, you do. I don't even know who it is. So this will be interesting to find out who it is. Who is it? You know, listen, once you say, I'll let you know whether you, you said the truth or whether you just held on. Uh, there we go. Anyhow, this guy doesn't know. He knows nothing. Um, burn it up. Do you foresee a price drop in the high desert, such as Victorville, Hesperia, Apple Valley, looking to get a second property? So a drop. What does a drop mean, people? That's <laughs> Could prices, could the next home that comes on the market sell for less than the last home that sold? The answer is yes. I think that can happen. I think that can happen in a lot of markets. Do I see a price drop? I don't see uh, a number in mind, but I do think over the next six months or so, just because of the time of year, you could see home prices probably move sideways to down, which means, you know, I'll give you an example. You know, a property in, in a community here in Huntington Beach, uh, I just closed one yesterday, $1.5 million, okay? 
There was one that closed back in uh, March, maybe, for $1.56 million. So $60,000 higher than my property. So you could look at that and say there was a $60,000 price drop on that property. But let's let's look at it. And, and I'm not trying to spin this. I'm just saying let's let's look at it. Should that house have ever sold at 1.56? I don't know. Somebody thought it should have because they bought it, right? They purchased that property at that. That was the only property that sold up near that price. Everything else was around 1.5, right? So that was the one anomaly, if you will. So if you were plotting this out on a chart data, you would extract the top. You probably extract the, the bottom and you kind of look somewhere in the middle. So if that's the case, this home that I closed yesterday sold somewhere around where home prices um, were selling. In fact, it sold above uh, the price of some that sold back in, in January and February, but it closed below one that sold in March. So could you see that in other markets? I think so. Yes. In some markets, it'll be a bigger impact. You'll see values go down faster. Um, you know, we talked about it a little bit today, Josh, you know, the markets that did really, that were booming big time, you know, over the last two years, you know, the, the Austin market, the Phoenix market, Boise, Nashville, a lot of these markets, those are the markets that'll see bigger declines, but they also appreciated more than any other market, right? So it's almost, um, understood or expected to see some sort of bigger pullback than you would in a market that didn't appreciate as much. And then you take a market like uh, New Orleans or one of these markets where you didn't really see the appreciation like the rest of the country. You're going to see less of a pullback in that market because it never saw the run up that a lot of the other markets did. Now, I'm not saying New Orleans as a whole. There's some pockets outside of New Orleans that, um, and it might actually not even be New Orleans, but it's in that area where homes just don't appreciate at the rapid pace that say Southern California does. So with all of that said, Yes, you could see home prices move sideways up if you're looking for a deal. I don't know what a deal means, uh, but in a video that's releasing on Monday, I talk about all the things that if you are a buyer right now, if you want a deal, what you have to consider when making an offer. So check out that video. Anyhow. So Jeb, there's there's two things that you, the question hinted at and then that you followed up with. Areas that I would be more concerned with. Um, some of the areas that we were talking about that were sort of remarkable in the last year, Boise, Austin, um, those areas are very desirable. As people got location independence, they flocked to those areas, um, limited amount of supply, more demand than usual, and more demand with more money than usual relative to local employees. I worry about those areas because what if some of those people decide, hey, I'm not really a Boise person. I want to go back to San Francisco. What if their company tells them they have to come back? I have a lot of family in North Idaho. North Idahoans hate Californians and with, with good reason, because once they hit 65, they take their appreciation in their homes, they sell them in California, and they go and they drive prices up in North Idaho. If you look at North Idaho um, and, and Southern Idaho, Boise, all of that stuff, one of the measures you want to look at is home prices relative to incomes and what that multiple looks like. And everywhere they are higher than normal. 
But if you're in a market that is is even higher than what most of the country would look at, that could be a, a layer of risk. And we don't know. There's no way of knowing what's going to happen in those markets, but it definitely bears watching and it definitely bears caution if you want to buy in one of those markets. As I say, don't buy, but be cautious. And hopefully you are a move up buyer with a bigger down payment uh, and can handle that. Now, in terms of Victorville, Hesperia, Apple Valley, one of the things we always look at with affordable areas, Southern Californians, as they get priced out of LA and Orange County, they go further and further out. Those tend to be first time buyers um, buying with lower down payments and they tend to be just less strong hands, less established, younger, um, all of those things. And there could be more risk in areas like that. So when we sit here and talk, um, you know, we have some crazy people over here in the comments that think that we're just saying, jump out and buy. Everyone should buy at all times. If you can qualify, buy a house. These are the questions that you need to be asking and answering yourself and getting a good local advisor to go through that with you. Someone that understands your market because not all markets are the same. They're, they're all different. Um, what I can say, you know, Jeb and I were having a conversation earlier today. Like I know the, that the, there are value changes in, in certain parts of the state of California. I hear it. I hear it from people that I know and trust, but I also know that all of the buyers that I'm working with, they're not running out and just writing an offer and getting it accepted. It's not the 20 offers of last year, but it's two or three offers. That's a seller going back and forth with them. So has it changed? It's definitely changing. And we want to look at the trend and the trajectory and not just say, where are we today? Where are we likely to be in the next three or four months? And the reality, Jeb, you know, what we have to look at is the next few months are not going to give us a lot of good information because October, November, December always have a seasonal slowing. January doesn't really pick up. Next spring is when we're going to get a real good feel for what this market looks like. No, but you're going to see a lot of crappy headlines between now and then. Just just get ready for it. So I'm going to get blasted over the next three months that the, the world's falling apart. Uh, but anyhow, let's let's move along here. We got some uh, good questions. Uh, let's see. Al Bundy, how do HELOC interest rates work? I might use HELOC to fund some business inventory and then pay off in a few months once inventory has turned. Good or bad places to get a HELOC. Thanks. So you'll, you'll generally get the best terms on a HELOC from a bank or a credit union. Uh, it is very hard for an independent mortgage bank or a mortgage broker. They're smaller loans and they still involve almost the same amount of work as a regular loan. The crazy thing, um, I have a lender that we work with that just announced a new HELOC uh, that they, they do using blockchain technology. They say it's going to be very easy and you do very little work. You don't make a lot of money on it, but very little work. So it makes it worth your time to help clients. So that may be an option, but look at banks and credit unions, call a couple of them. The biggest difference is going to be the teaser rates that they're offering for six to 12 months. Um, may not matter to you because it sounds like you're going to use it, pay it off, use it, pay it off. Um, but the HELOC interest rate is simple. It's the prime rate plus a margin. And the margin will be dictated by the, the loan to value percentage, how much of your home's equity you want to borrow and how good your credit scores are. That's really the two things that go into play. The qualifying is, is binary. It's yes or no. The terms are dictated by credit score and loan to value. And the difference, again, look at teaser rates and look at margins uh, and overall costs with banks and credit unions. But most of them are doing them no cost maybe five hundred dollars uh total cost and and handling all of that for you good stuff uh juan just says do you know anything about san bernardino county high desert area housing market i don't personally um you know if somebody were looking to purchase out there i have an agent that i would refer you to in fact just referred somebody there recently they just closed i don't know yesterday or what's today today's wednesday might have been friday thursday or friday of last week but anyhow um yeah. So if you need somebody out there, let me know. Happy to 
happy to make that referral for you. Chubb, let's follow yep. on. There's a, there's a follow-up here on HELOCs. Ronald yep. Sharma says, are HELOCs more difficult to get on investment homes? Yes. Yes, they are. Uh, you're going to have a higher margin and you're going to have a lower loan to value. Uh, I think 80% is probably about the most that you're going to get to, and you're going to pay a higher margin than someone would on their owner-occupied property. So you want to be strategic with it. I don't. People sometimes hear me say, well, I, you're very anti-HELOC. No, there's a time and a place, and it depends on how you're going to use it. If you're going to borrow the whole amount and use it for an extended period of time, there's better ways of, of financing it. Good stuff. So before we dive into some more questions, I want to ask a question um, for those of you watching. There's 204 people watching. Do you own right now or are you currently renting? Um, you can press one for own, two for rent. Uh, just thought it'd be fun just to see where see where the uh, the chat's at, where are people sitting currently. It takes a couple, couple minutes for this thing to come in just because it's delayed or a couple seconds because it's delayed. But 100% everyone owns. Huh? 100% everyone owns, only owners, no no renters involved here. A lot a lot of people that own are in here, huh? Let's see here. Does it show us the total number or does it just give us a uh just give us a percentage? Um, since May. I I recognize some of the names pop up here. I color me shocked just because the questions, the majority of questions we get are from the the renters and first time buyers, I should say, not renters, people who are looking to buy and enter into the market. Um, so let's um, once you guys are, are done answering the question and, and throwing the, the numbers in there, um, maybe tell us as an owner, um, what are the most important things uh, value that we could provide for you here every week? Is it just general direction on the market? Are you guys thinking about moving up, moving down, moving out of state? Um, what information uh, is it here that can be the most valuable to you guys as, as owners? Because I'm, I'm, I actually would have thought this was 50-50 uh, non-owners and owner versus owners at, at the worst or best case. No, agreed. Yeah. I mean, I, I wish it gave us a, a total poll here um of, of how many people answered what but i mean just just to get an idea of how many people actually answered it might show it after the fact in in the in the analytics there but yeah no interesting nonetheless so three-fourths of the people in here actually own a house versus rent uh which i find extremely interesting or those are the people only willing to come out and actually answer it so uh i'm gonna end this poll now uh, let's see here all right so i'm gonna end this and we're gonna exit that um and then we have one more question coming up uh jeb, jeb we yeah. just got the greatest compliment ever because oh, i can't boy. believe anyone would say this i'm going to tell my wife that someone actually said this uh for s house he says entertainment can't help me with anything so ah i'm gonna wow. tell my wife i'm gonna tell my wife how entertaining i am that, that he shows up here every week <laughs> she still won't believe it uh <laughs> anyway. or she won't agree at least no that's that's for sure so uh kim asked did i change my drink this week i did so i went to with the waterloo the the blackberry lemonade i don't actually even like soda water flavored soda water i just needed something other than water and so this okay. was this was the drink of choice today Hey, listen, I couldn't get a sponsor from Bang. Celsius didn't reach out to me. My Arrowhead oh. water. Nobody, nobody wants to sponsor me, man. The preferred it's, it's, sponsorship that we want, this thing won't won't focus, but there we go. Put it all the way in front of the camera. Put it all if the way up get, to the lens. All the way up. So yeah, that, keep going. That's what we need. We need some, we need some element. This one here, BioSteel, um, you can get across at the Bio store. BioSteel, that sounds like some sort of sex drug. 
Well, hey, you said it, not me. Biosteel. Uh, anyhow, we're moving. We're moving along. Uh, let's see. Um, Sunny says, "Great to see you guys. If I was still a buyer, I'd only be looking at listings over thirty days. Motivated sellers have them pay closing costs and buy down the rate. Yeah, I mean that that's an option. Uh, but understand." You know, not to play devil's advocate, but not all homes sitting on 30 days on the market are going to be deals, right? Um, I actually talk about this in that video, you know, where to look at, you know, even with the properties that are on the market, what do you need to to look even deeper with um, in regards to, you know, to help you make, a, you know, uh, to see if that seller is actually motivated to sell a, uh, sell a property. So hopefully that is helpful for you guys when it comes out. Bandit says... Watching from Post Falls, Idaho, drinking straight shots of Tito's every time. Jeb says, good stuff. I might be in the hospital with alcohol poisoning after tonight's pot. He's, he's definitely probably not here anymore. I already we're, hey, we're an hour in. He's passed out already. So he is he's definitely, definitely good blacked stuff. out. Good stuff. Yeah, he's dead. Good stuff. That's fantastic. Those four shots. Uh, Daff says, what is the best loan for buying a fixer upper where you can finance the construction cost in? And is it normal closing escrow process? So, Josh, I only really familiar with one. I know uh, Fannie has, has their own, um, but let's, let's hear what you have to say. The loan process is different because you have to get bids and the lender is doing an appraisal based off of not just the current value, but the after repaired value. Once you get all of that done. Um, so it just takes a little longer. There's more steps involved. As far as the closing, you're going to sign loan docs at escrow and wire in your, your down payment all the same. So, it's a lot the same, but a lot different. And it's that middle part that's different. So getting a purchase contract or something, let's say Jeb has a fixer, uh, had a fire and it was burned out and you wanted to do a, a rehab loan on it. Making the offer and signing the contract and opening escrow is exactly the same. Now we get to work. We got to get your contractor out there. We got to get a bid. We got to get that in front of the lender. We got to order an appraisal. Um, we got to provide the appraiser with your plan of what you're going to do so they can know after repair. I mean, are we going to have quartz countertops? Or are we going to have laminate? Are we going to have a, a, a you know outdoor kitchen? All of the things. They want to know exactly what you're doing to that house um, so they can get an accurate value afterwards. So it's really the middle part that is difficult or difficult, different, and um, it's just going to take a little bit longer so you're probably looking at a 45 day escrow on most of the rehab products good good stuff uh matt is mad at me because i didn't buy a giant water jug he says that he paid for it last week completely i'll send, you the, I'll send you the link so you can get it done i week. forgot matt uh but i don't think that was enough money that you gave me to buy it that's the problem that's why i didn't do it we need more no i'm kidding don't send any more money um Dude, I have so many water jugs at home. I can't like literally I like I go to a conference and they give me like a, a nice water bottle. I don't even take it home anymore because I have too many of these things. So this guy, another this water bottle is not what I need. Stuff. Another water bottle is not what I need. Um, do you invest in physical gold? I do not. Josh? No, no, no. I find no value in it personally. The, the, um, the funny thing is, I'm not going to tell anyone where it's at. I almost said that, and I don't want you know anyone chasing me around. But my mom bought a chunk of physical gold, and for some reason, she bought it here in California, and she lives in Idaho. So uh, I have a chunk of physical gold that uh, I have to stash away for her until the time when she comes and takes it back home. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess I get the appeal to it um, for some people. Um, if you think basically the dollar is going to go to zero and all of that, then... Um, yeah, but I, I yeah, I, I don't personally 
invest in it. So uh, do you recommend umbrella insurance for rentals, Josh? Any thoughts? Yeah. You know, once you get to that point, you you need to protect your your assets. So that umbrella policy, if someone has a slip and fall and they want to get sue happy and, and all that fun stuff, um, I would absolutely recommend it. All right. Good stuff. Uh, let's see here. Graham uh, hates me on uh, YouTube, but that's okay. Uh, you can only say with the benefit of hindsight that it was a bad idea for you to sell those homes in 2009. I actually sold them in 2011. But what if you had lost your job or something? It may have uh, been a, a good idea for you to sell them. Sure. I mean, I sold them and I still had a job, um, but I sold them just because I was timid of what was going on in the market. I, I wasn't, I was still, I was making money selling property. I just wasn't sure where the market was going, going through a divorce, just a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff going on in my life. And, and the properties were actually even, um, on, on the rental properties. I own, I, they, they were cash flowing, if you will. Um, not about a huge amount, but I didn't have to come up without a any money out of pocket, but I just, I didn't, feel right owning those properties for whatever reason. And yeah, call it hindsight, call it whatever it is. But you look back now and say, hey, had you kept those properties, you would have been in a good situation. So I think you can do that again, like Josh mentioned, pretty much any seven year period of time, you know, I, I, property values more or less go back to where, you know, they were, um, you know, if, if you bought a house in 2006, you know, at the top of the market by 2012, 2013, you were pretty much back to, pretty close to what you paid for that property in a lot of markets out there. Some markets, obviously that's not the case, but a lot of markets you were. So um, again, it's, I'm not using hindsight to make it right or wrong. I'm just saying time is what you need when you, when you buy property. And Jeb, tell me this, cause this, I think this is instructive when we talk about what people do and the decisions that they make, were it not for the divorce, I don't think you and Tony would have sold those properties. You would just stuck it out. You know, no, I mean, listen, there was a lot of money. Um, there's a lot of money there. Uh, a lot of money in the bank, a lot of, and, and I just walked away. Um, and, and so I was in a different position financially than I was in that relationship. Um, and that's okay. Like I own those properties in my name. It was, it, it was what it was. And so I look back in it. Do I have regrets? Not really. I mean, yeah, I wish I still owned the properties, but I'm, I don't sit here and beat myself up about it. I mean, who would have known, right? I mean, you don't. And, and that's the thing is I was young. You know, I bought those properties when I was 24 years old, 25 years old, somewhere in that ballpark. Um, no, 20, 25 and 26. So yeah, I was, I was young. So I've learned a lot since then. And I, I try to use that to help you guys make better decisions. That's the whole idea here. I don't, uh, Alex, I don't, I don't yeah. remember what Darren's gift was last week, but I did look it up. If you want the giant jug, it's $34 on Amazon. So I'll, I'll Bro, I'm not buying that jug. I'll, I'll refund Matt his money before I buy that jug. I'm I'm, I'm going to order it and I'm going to take a poll. I'm going to I'm going to post my you, Ven I'm going to post my uh, Venmo or uh, what is it? You know, go fund me to buy you a half gallon jug and make you drink out of it. No chance. Uh, Alex says like the weekly general market info and the way rates are trending. I'm a recent move up buyer, but we'll need to refine my primary in the future. So got a lot of comments like that. Uh, way too many to post in here. Uh, but we, we appreciate, uh, you guys being here in the comments. It definitely helps. Let's see. Uh, Josh is self-directed 401k, a good way to purchase investment homes. Any thoughts on a 401k? 
self-directed. Yes. My my units that I have over in Long Beach, when uh, when everything was going to hell, um, we bought those. Um, I wasn't sure where stocks were going, so we liquidated everything in my um, individual 401k, moved it over to a self-directed, and we bought those units. They've more than doubled in value, and um, probably that was probably the best investment I've ever made. Um, you guys, we talk about, you know, off market and, and out of MLS deals. This was an off market deal. We found a seller who had a problem. Um, he wanted cash flow and didn't want to be a landlord. He wanted more for his house than it was worth. He made us a loan. He carried the financing at 0% interest. So we'll end up, I think I looked at it the other day, a little less than three years to pay it off. And we bought it in 2010. So 15, 16 years, um, it'll take to have paid it off. And it sits in my 401k. Uh, this is my self, we rolled it over to an IRA and did a self-directed IRA. You can do the self-directed 401k as well. So once that thing's paid off, it'll be $3,000 a month of rents that sits in there because I'm, I'm 49. So I can't, I can't take the money anyways. So for the next 10 years, before I wanted to take it out, $36,000 a year is going to roll over into that account if rates, if uh, rents don't even go up. So that's an awesome best case scenario. But uh, a, cl a client who came through, Jeb, who came through the show early, uh, late 2020, early 2021, he's got like four or five properties in self-directed uh, IRAs. And they were wonderful investments. He bought again um, when the market was down, was buying out of the market, and they were just horseshit properties you looked at them they were awful and now that he's done with them they're beautiful properties tons of equity um and at a certain point um they're down in san diego they're going to retire to mexico off of the money from the rentals here in san diego so you have to be strategic you have to know what you're doing but it can be a great way to to finance real estate investments all right good good stuff let's see how bandit's doing up there in post falls right now reach out bandit if you're still alive uh, Kim says, Josh, you should update your website. You've lost weight looking good. Well, Hey, I just shaved the beard was mostly trimmed the beard down. I should say we're, we're a little lighter, a little lighter. Uh, let's see. Why won't new construction builders give closing credits to investors with non QM lenders? seems pretty stubborn across the board. So this is news to me. I'm, I'm not, I'm not familiar with them not giving credits to uh to investors um josh any knowledge on that no but i would say it comes down to to leverage they don't feel like they need to if it gets to a certain point where they feel like they need to move properties they will cooperate with anyone jeb you talked about that last week last year they didn't want to cooperate with realtors they say no you know we'll give your realtor a 500 referral fee for registering you and that's about it and now in a lot of areas they are cooperating with realtors because they need help moving these properties the difference with a non-qm lender i could see a builder having some concern that that could uh, present risk for foreclosures in the future that they wouldn't want to see values drop in the neighborhood that they built and maybe decrease their reputation going forward if they're going to be building for the long haul. But for the most part, Jeb, I would go back to it just being leveraged. They don't need to right now. They'll do it for owner occupants, but they're not ready to do that for investors with non-QM loans. All right. Good, good stuff there. Uh, let's see. KK Cohen says, I'm planning on buying a property with 10% down, have excellent credit. Should I think about an FHA loan, even though I don't need it? I would say no, um, unless you have some sort of debt to income ratio, with, which is the only way you can qualify. But even then, Josh can, can, can kind of guide you here. 
So it, it, we talk about this a lot. People either come to us and say, I want an FHA loan. It's the greatest thing ever. I watched Jeb's video. It's amazing. I want an FHA loan. They don't know anything about any other loan, but they want an FHA loan. Or I will have people I talk to say, whatever you say, do not let the words FHA come out of your mouth because I will hang up on you and I won't do a loan with you. And the truth is they're a good loan. Um, they're, they're right for a lot of people. They are wrong for other people. When you're putting 10% down, I would avoid it because the mortgage insurance has two components to it. You have 1.75% upfront that's financed onto the loan amount. And you're going to have that even if you put 10% down. Normally you would have 0.85% monthly mortgage insurance, but if you put 10% down, that drops to 0.8 with excellent credit and 10% down, you're likely to have much lower mortgage insurance than 0.8 without adding that 1.75% onto the rate. A lot of times people will say, oh, FHA rates are better. We talk about it every week. FHA VA loans have about a half percent lower rate than conventional loans. Well, if we want to take that 1.75 points that you would finance onto the loan in terms of that upfront mortgage insurance premium and use that to buy down the rate, the rates are pretty darn similar or we could buy out the the um, mortgage insurance entirely and keep that payment lower so again it goes back to numbers never lie you need to work with a lender that knows fha very well that knows conventional very well that knows all of your mortgage insurance options and can compare those for you side by side so that you can go through and decide which one's best for you once you see the numbers on paper one of them's going to jump out and you're going to go yeah that's my option all right all right, let's see. What else do we have here, Josh? Anything interesting? Any so any crazy tenant eviction stories? Advice on using Section Eight Section Eight tenants. So I have no advice on using Section Eight tenants um, personally. Um, tenant eviction stories, not really. I mean, when I was doing foreclosures and selling foreclosures, we showed up at several eviction. Um, uh, where evictions where you know the police were there to actually evict people on that day um so i've got some crazy stories in that regard but nothing um nothing about personal tenants or clients tenants my my units over there in long beach that we just talked about that i own in my ira we had a, a couple of guys there two bedroom units a couple of guys roommates they lived together paid on time every month pretty good tenants took decent care of the property for that area we were very happy to have them um, one of them calls us one day and he goes, Hey, I got bad news. My buddy's a dick. He moved out overnight and he said, he's not paying any of the rent and there's no world in which I can afford this on my own. So we said, okay, cool. So when do you want to turn in the keys and get out? He goes, Oh no, no, no. I mean, there's a process. You have to evict me. So we had to go through and it took almost 12 weeks of going to court, getting him out of there. And this was a guy who had just been a lovely tenant up to that point. But, um, a lot of people in California know their legal rights very well um, even though we did nothing wrong and treated him well he knew it was going to take time and he was willing to take the ding of having an eviction on his record and making it much harder for him to, to rent going forward um, you know we had someone popped up over here that said in california stay away from section eight i don't know about that i have clients who have a lot of rentals um, we had a, a client earlier in the year that they had five rentals and they had section eight tenants in all of them and their belief with it was they want those tenants want to stay in the good graces of Section 8 so they get a portion of their rent subsidized and paid for them. So they're not going to miss if they miss their payment to you at the beginning of the month, they can get kicked out of Section 8. If they beat up a property, they can get kicked out of Section 8. Doesn't mean someone's not going to lose their mind and do something crazy and, and lose their Section 8 benefits. But I've talked to a number of investors who really like renting to Section 8 tenants, even though that may be counterintuitive. 
All right. Good stuff. Uh, I'll give you one story here that this wasn't an actual eviction, but uh, a guy that used to work with me showed up to a property one day to it was a foreclosure. And we showed up to check what was going on with the property, you know, because we would get basically an assignment um, from Fannie Mae or one of these guys and it would give us an address and we'd have to go basically to the property and figure out if it's if it's vacant. If it was vacant, we get it rekeyed, get into the property, we assess it, we do our thing. And if it looks like it's uh, occupied, then we have to post something on the door and this whole thing. Well, he shows up to to check out this property. And as he does, the door opens. A guy is running out holding like I forget where he's holding, but he's bleeding. And then a guy's out chasing him with a knife. So the guy runs out the door and then there's a dude chasing him with a knife. And then they run around the complex. Dude throws the knife on top of the parking garage. Long story short, police end up coming. And uh, the guy that worked for me had to 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 tell the whole story and and all that good stuff so <laughs> you you topped my best one the best one that, that i had that wasn't necessarily an eviction story although it kind of was an eviction story um had a guy that i worked with at a mortgage company uh, 15 years ago uh, just like me when the market was in the tank started flipping houses he was flipping in south central buying a huge discounts but obviously um higher crime areas you have you have more risk well they got this house dialed in and it's beautiful and on friday and on monday he shows up and um, a young group of men had moved into the property. And I mean, furnished it, 60 inch big screen on the wall. And they told him, no, this is our house. You can get out of here. So he had to go get the police to come do the eviction, whatever you want to call it, to get him out of there. And needless to say, he was um, a little scared and alarmed what may happen to him throughout the uh, marketing period of putting that home for sale and getting it onto its new owners. That's too good. Uh, and while we're on these stories, I'll tell you my most embarrassing moment selling real estate. So one time I was on a two story, uh, I was in a property that had two stories and, um, it was in garden Grove It was a community. I forget the name of the community, but anyhow, I'm out on the balcony with, with the, you know, the family or whatever at that time and the door shuts. And so we're stuck on a balcony with no access into the house. So all of us are on the balcony, doors locked, no way to get into the property. So we sit on the roof of the property for I don't know how long. Eventually I climb onto the roof. At this time, this is when I wore like suits and crazy stuff to work. Now I wear t-shirts, but uh, I climbed onto the roof with dress shoes on and the whole thing over the the A-frame, the peak in the roof to the other side, one of the windows happened to be open or like unlock. So I was able to shimmy it open, get in the house and walk through the thing. So needless to say, I don't know that I ever sold those people the property. I don't remember who it was, but uh, they didn't buy that property. Uh, but anyway, let's move along. So uh, Josh BP says, I'm in contact with the builder in San Diego. However, in contract with the builder in San Diego. However, I see a good chance that they missed the closing date. Now I am not sure how to go ahead with locking a rate. Can one of you please guide? So if you're in that situation, you're in co under construction, you have no idea of the close date. What do you do about locking a loan? In most situations, a builder is going to make you qualify with their lender. If their lender gets you qualified, their lender, because they're doing builder business, they know of these extended times and they probably have better terms on a long lock, a 90 day, 180 day lock than a broker like me would. Um, so I would check, see what that looks like. I have two clients right now that we advised them earlier in the year, go ahead and take that extended lock. Those are good terms and rates are higher than where they're locked. 
but one's done due to be done in November and the other one is late December. So we're going to see. I said, cover your butt. I want to do the loan. I would like to make a commission. But the most important thing is we have some uncertainty here and you have to play that. So normally it is an absolute dick move to go out and talk to two lenders, lock with one, float with the other, and then decide who you're going to close with at the end. Um, builder business is a little bit different and unique. They are forcing you to work with them um, to some degree. And many of the builders lenders have actually suggested this to my clients. Let us lock it. Let us get the long-term lock and, and see what happens. And if they can get you better terms at the end, we'll either see if we can match it or you go with them. So um, that to me is the most likely option. See what their terms are on a long-term lock. If you've talked to an outside lender, see what their terms are on a long-term lock. I don't believe rates are gonna go much higher, but you are wagering with real money. I'm not in escrow on any properties right now. So that's an opinion. Yours is an actual real wager with money. So I would be more serious about hedging my risk. All right, good stuff. Bandit, are you alive? Bandit, Bandit, are you alive? Doing a new build, uh, Carrie says, about to start framing. How long do you think it will take to finish? This is basic track home. So I think it depends on the area of the market, but I think these these homes typically take about six, eight months, um, depending on where they're located. Uh, it really comes down to materials. Can they get the supplies today? Um, you know, they, they just started building some properties here in Huntington that they've been trying to break ground on for, I don't know, the better part of two years at least. Uh, right around the corner from the office here and i drove by there today and i swear those things are like up like all of them and i it, it feels like it's been two months when in all reality it's probably been closer to six or eight months um since they really started throwing them up but i think that's probably a realistic time frame but expect delays if if somebody else is building them just build that into your your uh your thought pattern um initially just so that you're not surprised at the end if it is delayed Josh, let's see. Should all of my rentals be in their own LLCs? Uh, David asks. So what are your thoughts on this? So the, the logic behind it is if you have a problem, a lawsuit um, arising from any one of those properties, it, it can't cross infect the others or impact your ownership interest. So good logic there with it. Um, in the state of California, California sucks. They like to tax everything. So let's say you have five rentals, it's 800 bucks a pop uh, every year for that LLC. So you're looking at what, $4,000 there, you know, over, over 10 years, it's $40,000 of profits for uh, something that's not very likely. I would be more inclined in that situation um, where you have multiple four, five, six rentals uh, and depending if you're in the state of California, uh, I would be more inclined to do one LLC and consider that enough protection. We don't need to double wrap, but uh, not a bad idea. Now, uh, help me with this, Josh. I've heard, I think I've heard, maybe I just made this up. Um, if you have an LLC that owns a property, right? Or you're planning on putting it in an LLC. If at any point you've paid from personal accounts or anything that, that traces back to you per se, then in theory, your LLC is no longer like, you know, gridlocked. I mean, you know, strong, if you will. You, um, you talk you can, about, yeah, you talk about piercing the corporate veil, any yeah. of that stuff. So um, it, essentially, if you're, you're going to use an LLC to buy a property, you should really do it from the very get-go never involve personal funds in the whole deal versus doing it after the fact is that fair 
Well, you're going to fund that LLC initially. Right. It's like any other business. Um, and if there's a capital call and you need to do that, you can do that. I just wouldn't be commingling um, as we go, you know, throwing something on a personal credit card or paying something from my checking account. You would like, like for each of our rentals, just to keep the accounting simple. Um, one has a property manager. They handle that and they send me a nice report at the end of the month. All of the ones that I manage, they have their own bank account. They have a very simple spreadsheet that all the income and expenses go through that account whether it's a check or a debit card and the accounting ends up very very easy at the end of the year and no one could say that there was commingled funds they all you know cash flow support themselves i shouldn't say that i'm sure that there's going to be a tree fall on one or something along those lines but uh for now they cash flow just fine and they they all have enough money in their bank accounts uh to self-support all right good stuff let's see here um so Boris says, have you ever stepped back and said, this is not good stuff? <laughs> I have never All heard the time. it. He Way too have. many times. I have never heard it spoken aloud. Way it must, too many times. It must resonate in his head. Probably as much as I use good stuff. And actually, I think I only really say that here. Maybe I don't. Maybe I say it other places. But hey, uh, it's Jeff, just we, an easy transition versus actually acknowledging anything. Just say good stuff and move on. Right? Just, hey, great. Or you say... Great explanation to that question, Josh. I really loved how thorough you were. Fantastic. And the next one, man, you really answered yeah. that one well. Knocked that one out of the park. <laughs> so, hey, wow. Listen. Fantastic. That is just so good. And then I we, just say, good stuff. And then, meanwhile, Bandit is hammered. He loves us. So, win win. Here. Win win. Uh, let's see. We, did, we don't have a ton of questions, Jeb. So, I wanted to ask you. Are you willing to share any insights um, and lessons that the viewers could take from your little experience a couple of days ago um, with lenders not following through on what they were supposed to do and promising you? Well, here's the thing. This is actually this actually ended up working out. Um, it wasn't a lender issue. It was never a lender issue. That's the thing. Um, so you don't really know the whole story. Um, so. Basically, in short, a deal of mine was supposed to close, uh, what, a week ago. Um, it was a contingent deal where the buyer of, you know, that was buying my property was selling their property. And the buyer of their property was actually a cash offer. Um, and what happened was the cash offer kept using leverage, if you will, to renegotiate the deal on their side. Um, and basically put those people kind of in a strong arm to, to end up reducing the price, I think three different times. Uh, but where, where the, where the, the, where I got upset was the fact that I was, I was told that the property was closing last Friday. And in fact, it didn't close until yesterday, Tuesday, because of the holiday. And on Friday, I realized it wasn't going to close till Tuesday, but then yesterday in the conversation, I talked to the agent and it was almost as if he had no idea what was going on either. And so there was a lot of confusion. I was pissed off. He was mad that I was mad at him. And meanwhile, escrow didn't really know. It was like a big, like probably the most, you know, convoluted conversation going back and forth with people not knowing what was going on. And then all of a sudden I got an email that it was, it was funded and, and, uh, or that they had received all the funds and that it was recording. And I was, really confused. But I guess what happened was the buyer ended up bringing in all the money. They had all the money to end up closing the deal. So they put that money into escrow. It closed. And then they ended up, their property ended up actually closing yesterday as well. So they closed concurrently. But um, if they didn't have that money, we probably would have been a delay, delayed a day. So 
nevertheless, the, there there was no lender issue there on that one. Just just FYI. So anyway, you just heard the over the uh, Jeb being. Uh, angry. I knew I knew Jeb was unhappy with someone. I didn't know the details. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. So that was no one's. I wouldn't say no one's fault. There was just a breakdown of communication. Big, big breakdown of communication at the end. And again, sort of sort of a lesson um, for buyers, buyers and sellers. So if you guys find yourselves on either side of the transaction, communicate with your realtor. If something is weird, off, going sideways, you're dealing with something personally, tell them. Same thing with lenders, realtors. Like I have, it is incredibly rare that I deal with someone on the other side of a transaction that's not understanding when you tell them the facts and the truth and follow through on what you say. Um, they may not like to hear it, but most folks are big boys and girls truth and they can handle, free. they can handle the truth. So just hopefully you're dealing with people who, who follow that um, because most producing realtors, lenders out in the market, that's the way they operate shit happens in our business. I can no deal always goes perfect from the lending side or the real estate side. Just communicate, tell people what's happening and what, what the plan is, what the out is. No, absolutely. Um, good stuff. Uh, I love how this worked out. So be real says go Raiders on Sunday. And then Nightbot says, be real. Sometimes you scare me. <laughs> no one, no one likes Raider fans. <laughs> well, it was because of the caps. It, it comes in there and it automatically. So if anybody knows, that's an automatic response. Like we don't do that, right? It's it's automatically generated when somebody does caps. But it just worked out when you said go Raiders. You said you, you know you scare me. Night, Nightbot has his limits, and you were. Pushing I just his thought it was appropriate. I just thought it was appropriate. Uh, let's see here. Uh, I'm a Carolina Panthers fan, so I don't really have a lot of expectations this year. They're going to be better than expected. I bought tickets today, though. I bought tickets to the October 16th game here at SoFi Stadium. Um, and I'm actually going to be in North Carolina the week before um, on on that game and uh, in, in Charlotte on that Sunday. So I'm planning on watching that game. So I'm going to see one game in Charlotte, and then I'm going to be back for the next game in in Los Angeles. You know? So I just have one question. Where yep. where are our seats for the game here in Los Angeles? Section 202, row 10. Cool. I'll Venmo you. I'll you just tell me how much. All right. You coming? Rams, Rams. I got I got four seats. Nash wants to come. So Nash is coming. So I, I've got two extra seats that I bought. All right. Um, let's see here. Question as a buyer, what are the key steps to finding and qualifying the best agent? Ambrose, you look like an agent. Your hair, everything about you looks Just like an agent. Perfectly quaffed. You look like an agent in Hollywood. You look like a Hollywood agent. No socks. Million dollar, uh, million dollar listing. Uh, Rocking the Prada loafers. The brown convertible loafers. Porsche pulls up to the I listing. See you, bro. I see you. Uh, what are the key steps to finding and qualifying a best agent? I would say, I mean, finding, you know, word of mouth, you know, referral from somebody um, is, is really the best way, I think. Um, if you can get a, you know, somebody that you know, trust to refer you to somebody that's a really good way. If not, you know, you can do a search online. I don't have any problem searching online. People find me online all the time. Um, but once you find somebody online, make sure you read Google reviews, you read, you know, go into depth on some of this stuff. Don't just read the surface level stuff. Um, and, and, you know, even then ask if you're really questioning something or want to know, Hey, say, you know, can I have, or talk to the last, two properties that you've closed. Can I talk to the buyers on those properties, the sellers on those properties? 
I'm happy to give out that information anytime. It'll give you a real look into um, how they work. And, and people are usually pretty open to having that conversation with someone else as well. So, you know, that's an option. Um, qualifying the best agent. I think, you know, if you've been referred, a lot of that's out of the way, but I think it's talking about experience, talking about, you know, what's going on in the market um, and just, you know, whatever is important to you in that conversation. Are they listening to you? Um, are they able to to give you the answers that you need? Maybe they don't have the answers, but they're willing to go get them and come back. That's a sign of a good agent, you know? Um, sure. yeah. Talk a little bit about this. Um, where I see a breakdown uh, and people will sometimes bitch about their realtor is um, you set them up on a search. Um, they're looking online and then expectations on when are we going to see properties? How, how quickly can I see them? How often can I see them? Um, what, what should a buyer expect along those lines? I think it varies um, per agent, right? I think a lot of people expect that their agent should send them the property, right? That they should be calling them every day with a list of properties that they want to see. If you have an agent that's successful at all, most of the time they're dealing with multiple buyers, right? So they're not going through every single property on the MLS. So you're usually set up on some sort of search where you're going to receive properties. Um, you know, what I tell clients all the time is that, you know, if you see something you like, you have questions about, just send it to me and send me the questions and we can answer it like, you know, that way. And if I see something that I think will work, you know, if I have some clients that are looking for something specific, then it's a little easier to do it. But if you say, Hey, Jeb, this is what I'm looking for. And it's really general. And you're kind of looking at a couple different, it's, that's difficult for me. I can't look through, you know, hundreds of properties every day to send you the ones. Now you might find an agent that can do that. Um, if that's what you need. But I think that's something that you need to have a conversation up front about what you're expecting so that the agent um, can can tell you, you know, realistic expectations about how that's going to work if, if they don't address it up front. So uh, but with that being said, you know, a lot of buyers out there, I mean, the information is so readily available now with regards to open houses, with regards to, you know, listings on the market it's a lot easier for a, a buyer to do a lot of the, the the work themselves. Now you say, well, why do I need an agent to do it? Well, you don't pay me to drive you around. You pay me to make sure you don't get yourself in a bad position when you're buying a property. You pay me to help negotiate the deal. You pay me to deal with uh, you know, the process of getting you to the finish line, making and managing all parties. That's what you pay me to do. You don't pay me to drive you around and show you homes. Some agents get paid for that, but I, th I think it's all about expectations, just setting proper expectations. So I don't know if that answered the question or not, Josh. I like the answer. All right. Good stuff. Good stuff. Bandit. Bandit. You really you really knocked that one out of the park, Jeb. Oh, fantastic. Thanks, Josh. Uh, rum, rum, rum raven. That's what we're going with. Uh, regarding that lender miscommunication story, what advice would you give on keeping your cool and not going off the rails during a cluster? Mm. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, honestly, it's 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 about communication. It really is. It, it's all about communication and understanding. Where I got, where I got upset is when I called um, on this particular uh, situation and I was told something different than what I thought I had understood. So I got an email on that Friday, basically saying that the, the escrow said I have, we have all buyer funds. So I, and I was told that the loan on the other side was funding that day, right? The buyer's loan. So I was told escrow says we have all buyers funds. I took that as lender funded. All the funds are in. 
and 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 then they said we'll be closing on Tuesday. We can't close today. We're closing on Tuesday. So I thought, okay, that means we got a done deal. We're closing on Tuesday. I go out and I tell the sellers, hey, listen, everything's in. We're closing on Tuesday. Well, about Tuesday midday, I've sent emails, I've made calls. No, there's no communication about what's going on. So I call the lender, or I call escrow and say, hey, what's going on? Escrow says, well, we're waiting on the lender to fund. I called the lender and say, what's going on with funding? Lender's like, I don't know what's going on with funding. We're still waiting on a closing statement from the the buyers sell of uh, from the buyers uh, from from the the buyers that were buying my property. We're waiting on a, a certified closing statement on the property they're selling to show where the funds came from. And so he's like, I can't do anything. I, I I've got to have that to release the funds. Okay, whatever. So I call the agent, and finally he calls me back, and he's like, Well, here's the deal. Their, their other deal hasn't closed. The cash offer hasn't even put their money into escrow yet. So we haven't closed. And so that's where I got pissed because I was like, hold on. What do you mean they haven't closed? Why didn't I hear about this on Friday? I was told it was closing on Friday. I'm, you know, you're, you're on all of these emails that I'm getting and yet there's no response. So that's where I went off the rails because I'd have already told the seller something. It was like a big miscommunication. So there's a lot going on there and a lot more than you guys want to hear, but it really comes down to communication, good or bad news, convey it, whatever it is. Deal didn't fund, deal didn't fund. Tell me what's up. Why didn't it fund? Put it in writing, send it to me so I can show my seller. So I'm not the guy in the middle just passing along, you know, what I think I hear versus, you know, what, what, what's happening in reality. So that, that's it. But anyway, all right. Uh, Kim says, do you know anything about Olson Holmes and their qualifications here in the OC? So I don't know about Olson Holmes directly, but their qualifications are going to be no different than any other lender. Uh, when you qual or they shouldn't be. So you're going to go in, you know, if you want to make an offer on a house, um, you can go at and get a pre-approval for say Josh, right? So you can get a pre-approval from Josh, but if you put in an offer with them, they're going to want you to cross qualify with their lender on site. And typically that, you know, if if Josh approves you, that means they're probably going to approve you. In some cases, that might not be the case, but Josh can perhaps convey to them what the differences are and get you there. But there's no different qualification for a new construction, at least that I'm aware of, versus any other home. Josh, anything you want to add on that? No, uh, I can say that two that we've closed here in the last three months, uh, three that we closed in the last three months on new builds, um, the, the builder's lender told the people they don't qualify and actually told the sales agent, uh, you can't accept this offer. They don't qualify. So we said, give us five days, five business days, and we will get the file submitted and get you an actual underwriting approval. So you don't have to just take my word for it. And each one of those, we got approvals. And then we sat here and we waited out the whole year and the, the interest rates increasing and got them closed. So what you will find, um, I'm sure there are exceptions. I'm sure there's a builder's lender out there that's just awesome. But for the most part, they are paper pushers. They take orders. And especially coming off of the last few years where there's been 10 buyers for every one property, they know that if there's 50 uh, homes that are going to be available in August, they're going to get 42 of those loans, no matter how good or how bad of a job they do. And if they turn one person down that could qualify, there's another one right behind it that qualifies easily. So that would be the, the biggest difference. So if a builder's lender tells you no, don't take it as gospel. I'm not saying they're always wrong, but I tell you, we have three examples here of people that we got into properties. The builder's lender had flat out said, no, we can't do the loan. All right. 
last thing we're going to do with this stream alive that I've been putting up here is I'm going to ask you where you think the market's headed. And so what's going to happen is as you put in words here, it's going to create this little image, if you will, as to where you think the market's headed. So if you think it's going up, Anya says, hello. That's not where we think the market's headed, Anya. <laughs> um, but if you say crash, if you say up sideways, it's going to create this little image here and uh, get an idea of it, it's delayed. So as I'm talking here, because what's crazy, Josh, is the last two weeks, dude, this thing has been off by like 20 seconds. Did you notice it today? Like uh, we not came on so early versus where the where the actual music was. I was I was trying to put the music out of my head. So it 40 spiral. So this may not work. Transaction. So we're going to can this. I don't like it. No change. So, um, yeah, it's not working like. Uh, like I had hoped. So anyway, we're moving along. We're moving along, people. All right. So. Let's see here. Uh, Palvinder. Uh, thank you for being here. If I qualified to buy 900,000 single family home, can I qualify to buy a 1300 to buy a $1.3 million duplex in the Bay Area? Each unit is two bedroom, one bath, both vacant at the moment. And is it a good idea? So you need more information than that. Unfortunately, you got to figure out what the rents are on that property um, to be able to figure out you know, debt to income ratio and all of that good stuff. So just because you qualify for a single family home doesn't necessarily mean you can qualify for a duplex, right? Duplexes take uh, or investment property requires a, a larger down payment. Now, if you're buying it to live in, uh, Josh, is the down payment the same as a primary home or is it is it more? Duplex, you can do 15% down, okay. um, but you can't do the the 5%, uh, 10%. You're looking at 15% uh, on uh, on most loan programs. I wouldn't say that there's not some you know bank or credit union or non-QM lender out there that would do a 5 or a 10%, but your Fannie Freddie and most jumbo lenders are going to be 15% plus. All right, good. Good stuff. Uh, Daph says, what change are you guys seeing in the market due to climate change? So nothing. Um, not here anyway. I mean, everybody looks at California. They read the headlines. Like, I, you know, all my family lives back in North Carolina. So, you know, the crazy headlines, my cousin always sends me the headline. He's like, is this true? Um, like one last week was, you know, about uh, how California is mandating us to go to basically electric cars. But then at the same time, they're saying, you can't charge your electric cars. So he says, don't use electricity. Like, he's like, is this true? I'm like, yeah, unfortunately it's, it's somewhat true. Uh, but, uh, so climate change. Yeah. It's a problem. Um, you know, take politics out of it. Obviously there's, you know, it's, it's hotter here. It's probably, this is the hottest. I think I, I've, I, I say, I, I probably say this every year. It's the hottest. I think I felt in California since I've been here and I've been here 20 years this year. I was in Costa Mesa at a soccer tournament this past weekend. It was 101 degrees, dude. It was freaking. Scorching. I think you're forgetting. I was like 4th of July weekend, 2004, 2005 ish. It was brutal. Just like this. So regardless, it, and we got a drought here. So we got California has its problems outside of taxes and politics and everything else. Uh, but I don't see people selling uh, and just saying the hell with California because of those reasons. I'm sure there are people that that do it, um, you know, wildfires and that sort of thing. Just want to get out of here. Um, but it's not, you know, the state isn't uh, fleeing. Not everyone in the state's fleeing due to uh, to those things. It's more of a headline grabber than anything else. On on that subject, Jeb, I uh, 
my wife and I seriously considered buying a four acre lot on the Colorado River with two fancy double wides and then four big garages for storing boats on it uh, a few years back. And I still would really love to have the property um, for an Airbnb and for personal use. But when you look where it sits on the river, um, it's, it's just below Lake Mojave. And there are days when you can't take a prop boat out. You can throw a jet ski in the water, but if they're not releasing out enough water, you, you can't even take your boat out because you'll, you'll hit your prop on, on the bottom of the river. So there's, you know, stuff like that can, can happen. Um, I, I am still of the mind that uh, in our lifetime, this will, this will normalize and we're not going to see our, our river go away. Uh-oh, Maddie's coming in. Maddie's coming in and saying, thanks, guys. Appreciate your time and knowledge. Jeb's cutoff is for Josh to buy. <laughs> oh, boy. We're coming Worth up on the merge top. on my 999. is going to be like a million dollars here in no time at all. Oh, there it is. He's buying Ethereum with it. How's your Ethereum doing now that you bought? Uh, we're waiting for the merge. It's going to go to the moon as soon as we hit the merge. That, that shit's down like 70%. Where is it? As soon as we hit the merge, bro. You don't even know. Uh, it doesn't matter. I know nothing. Proof, proof of stake is going to I'm not everything. buying it. How's that? Um, Tammy. Tammy's here in Huntington. She's at the HB Equestrian Center saying it's muggy, muggy and ugly. Is she talking about me? Uh, I can't wait for the heat to leave. So I guess Saturday, Friday or Saturday is supposed to be at 90 again or something here locally. So crazy stuff. Oh, dude. Uh, worse, worse than that is that Thursday is supposed to be 97. I sat in my pool from 8 until 930 last night trying to cool down enough to go to sleep. No, I <laughs> too funny. Well, the wedge is supposed to be like, or it was supposed to be like 20 feet on Saturday. So you could go sit at the beach, watch the wedge, get some sun, you know, have fun. We're probably boring the hell out of these people at the moment. Um, I'll answer this question. Oh, CrossFit time here. Boris says we'll answer that one next. So last one, how does Southern California housing market look? Um, it looks slower. Than it did um, slow. I don't know if slow is the right word, but definitely slower than it was less homes coming on the market. Um, just more, you know, more of just, I guess what I expect kind of for, for this time of year, um, you know, still getting calls of people that want to buy homes um, still have clients looking for homes. Um, I have a listing come on the market next month. So, you know, Outside of that, it's, you know, it's just, it's some seasonality playing into a slowing market. Rates are obviously affecting affordability. There's people sitting on the sidelines. It's like any other market. We're not seeing, you know, huge price uh, drops. We're seeing, you know, properties, you know, reduce prices, but nothing, nothing crazy. I mean, I wish there was a way in the, in the MLS to pull data to show, you know, cumulatively what properties were listed at versus what they sold and what the average was between those two. I, I don't know if there's a way to get that data um, because it would be really good data to see. It would be somewhat skewed because some homes are overpriced to start with, but it would still be good data nonetheless. And and I don't know if this information is useful to you guys, but for for me, relative to last year, um, last year we were doing 10 plus refinances every month. Now, one to two. So the, people say, oh, there's no refis. Um, there are, there are, and they're un all unique situations. So um one to two refis. And in terms of purchases, I have more people calling me than I did this time last year. The difference is 
a lot more of them don't qualify or they don't not that they don't qualify for a mortgage at all but maybe in their area they need to get to 650 and they qualify for 500,000 with the, the the new interest rates so there's still a lot of interest and a lot of people want to buy so when we talk about the demographics have been a nice tailwind for the the market in addition to the low interest rates the last few years the demographics are still there people are still coming into the age where they want to buy homes um, just afford affordability is is a brick wall for some of them and they're not able to get what they want so i ask myself I'm like why am i so busy with business down relative to where it was last year we're still talking to a lot of people and going through the pre-approval process gathering their documentation so definitely transaction volume down affordability down um, less people able to get in and do what they want to do all right uh maddie has a question here can transferring property into your llc trigger due on sale clause josh the answer is yes, it can. The reality is it almost never does. So there's two pieces to this. People think that they break the law uh, when they're triggering due on sale clause. It's not, it's just a contractual agreement that says, if you do this, the lender can do this. They can call your loan due. Um, I'm not saying that I know a ton of real estate investors, but relative to a normal person, I talk to and associate with a lot of real estate investors, many of whom have taken properties um, out of title under their own name and put them into an LLC. I've never heard of the due on sale being triggered. I can't imagine a situation where the lender would call it due in a situation where you're making the payments as agreed. So I could see two situations. If you default on it, they could use that as a reason to, to foreclose on you and call the loan due. Um, so you're making payments late, you're not paying on time, you're being a nuisance to them. The other situation I could see, let's say you have a, a home, uh, you know, one of my rentals, we have a three and a quarter percent 30 year fixed on it. If I put that thing into an LLC, the lender may say, hey, rates are 6% now on those loans, six and a half percent. I don't want a three and a quarter percent loan on my books, I'm calling it due. Um, so that would be interesting. And I would also would love to hear from a lawyer. So what happens if I deed it from my LLC back to me as an individual, there was a transfer there Did the transfer itself trigger it or just putting it back re resolve it. Um, so there, there's your answer, Matt, they absolutely can. Um, are they likely to very, very unlikely to. All right. Jennifer has a question as landlords, do you offer tenants methods of rental payment that do not require convenience fees? I found that so annoying. So, um, you know, I, I we I take checks from from clients uh, with regards to making payments, uh, but I also use an online system where there is a convenience fee. It's three bucks to be able to use that system. Um, I also have to pay three bucks when I do a direct deposit into their account. It, it's cost to do in business for me, but it's a lot easier to deal with that system than it is to deal with people's checks and all of that. It's it's a lot more automated. Um, I'm sure big property managers out there may have some other systems. Um, I don't personally, but that's uh, that's me, Josh. I use a fancy system called Zelle and uh, I let the tenants know um, when we're going through the screening process that um, are you comfortable using Zelle and they always say yes. And if one said no, I would have to weigh the the options there. I don't want to charge them anything, but I also want an easy method for me to get the money. I don't want to chase after checks. I don't want to hear the check is in the mail. I want to know, boom, it's the first you push the button and it's in my account. No. And that's, I mean, I also take Zelle as well. Um, so that, that that is an option, but nobody seems to use it for whatever reason. So uh, let's do a couple more questions here. Let's let's answer. Um, well, first off, if you're still listening, I haven't asked this tonight at all. Um, hit the thumbs up if you're finding any value tonight at all. There's a link also scrolling if you need access to a lender. Uh, 
to have a conversation, looking to buy a home, want to refinance, any of that good stuff, want to talk to a real estate agent, that'll get you connected, that link below. Uh, but Josh, let's see here. Um, well, actually, I took the link off that I said I was going to leave up there. Who's your favorite CrossFitter, Josh? I was tempted to say Fraser. I like him a lot, but for whatever reason, I always find myself rooting for Patrick Vellner. I just Vellner. like him. Vellner's good. Vellner's he's a, solid. He, um, he's a big fella. He's tough and he's smart. He's always thinking his way through things. You know, here's the thing. As my, so I've been doing CrossFit style workouts and CrossFit for, I don't know, the better part of what, 14 years now. I don't actually follow CrossFit very much anymore. Um, and I haven't for a, a while, um, like five, six, seven years. Um, I know kind of the names out there, but I don't really follow them. So I'm actually, I'm going to have to go back to frowning um, just because, listen. I, I, mean, I should I should have posted it. I should have just posted it when I told you exactly yeah. I know who you're going to answer. Predictable, listen, Jeb. You're predictable. He, he, he's, he's studly, man. He's humble. He's, uh, he's just, yeah. He's here's what you want to be as an athlete. So, so here, here's the thing with him. He was the first modern CrossFit athlete and he changed the game for everyone. If you look before that, you saw different body types, different physiques, people that would be good at the cardio stuff, not good at the strength stuff. He was the first person to just hammer away at four, four a day wads on his own in his garage, not letting anyone know what he was doing. And post fronting, everyone realizes you can't do CrossFit to be a CrossFit Games athlete. You're going to do CrossFit style workouts, but you're going to learn to go heavy. You're going to learn to swim. You're going to learn to run. You're going to right. do all sorts of things. So I think part of the reason, Jeb, why you don't like it as much anymore, it doesn't look like, you know, our friend David Millar, who we worked out with, who was awesome at CrossFit. He didn't train specifically, and he made it to the Games in 2009. A guy like that doesn't make it to the Games. You have to give your life up and train in a very different way than a guy who does four days a week at the, at the CrossFit gym. Yeah, a buddy of mine was there last year. I actually went to the games last year um, in Wisconsin, uh, in Madison. Um, he made it, and dude, his life is that. I mean, he was training two, three times a day for better part of a year. I mean, he basically said, I gave up my life to do this. So, uh, But he got his goal, and he moved on. Uh, favorite benchmark workout? Nancy, I like overhead squats. So any type of design overhead squat, that, that would be in there. Um, and I'll leave it at that because we're probably boring other people. Uh, let's you see. Sure, here. you sure? What well, What if you were to design your own wad? What would it be like a, a a a marathon run followed by a marathon row? Would that be what you'd be likely to come up with? No, I think you have to swim, do overhead squats, do stuff that people suck at that I'm good at. All right. So we got an, anyway. ex an excellent question. Any good stuff? Merch a possibility? Just saying. Actually, it was in the works. Um better part of a year ago. Uh, in fact, I'm actually getting some t-shirts made today um, that have, so on the back of this shirt, can't see it. It actually says uh, buy right, borrow smart, build wealth. So I actually have one being made today to see what it looks like. That's actually going to say that on the front buy buy right, borrow smart, build wealth on the front with nothing else on it that I thought we could try to sell on here. I have one with good stuff, a logo that they created. I wasn't a fan of the logo. So Eh, let's see. Let's see what we can create. Let's let's see if we can make something. No promises. I'm a one man show over here, man. I'm a father, a husband, a YouTuber, uh, a coach of Friday Night Lights football, um, a live streamer, a golfer. I eh, can't really call me a golfer. I golf. Uh, what else? I got too many hats, man. 
And then I'm trying to become a, a t-shirt maker, a merchandise seller. Jesus, like a flea market over here with one operator, like the mayor, the cop, the, uh, you know, the mayor. I already said the mayor. Yeah, there's only two of us. I'm the mayor and the cop of the city. That's it. All right, guys, we're wrapping it up. Hour 53 on. Found any value tonight? Be sure to hit the like button. Subscribe to the channel if you find any value at all. We will be back next Wednesday to answer your questions. Until then, adios. Thanks for listening to The Educated Home Buyer. Want to connect with us or to a local expert in your area? Please reach out at theeducatedhomebuyer.com slash expert. If you found any value today, please be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. In addition, we ask that you share it with your friends and subscribe to us on YouTube. And make sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening.